also is uh, working on this horror film, and one of the guys who came in as just like an extra was this guy named. Yes. Yeah, and uh, he was telling me about. How Did he, he still have the long hair? Oh yes. Okay. Yep, and he was he was big on trying to be a referee. Yes. Uh, I remember him even telling me because I did a Mandalucha show or two. And, yes. And uh, he came up to me. He's like, hey, man, you got the inside. I can be a referee for you guys. Just just give me uh, give me your contact information. It doesn't matter what he said because you were concentrating on his teeth. I was. <laughs> yeah. Let's start the show. For those who do not know... The biggest wrestling spectacular. Names from all over the country. Former champions, I've never seen anything like it. Eddie Graham, Florida Promotion, Vern Gagne, Superstar Billy Graham, Road Warriors, Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee, Bill Watts, Jerry Jarrett, Dory Funk, Harley Race, uh, Nick Bockwinkle. This is Cigars and Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Hello and welcome to Cigars and Conversations, brought to you by our friends at Astro Radio Z and iTunes. I am your co-host, Jay Gilke, and I am sitting here with a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. This man has shared the ring with a who's who of talent. That ranges from Brandon Hayes to Brandon Blaze, a wrestler, manager, commentator, and a trainer who's contributed essays to wrestling publications and has recently returned from a weekend of camping. With 20 years of experience, he is a true renaissance man with unlimited knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, I am speaking of the incomparable, the one, the only, Derek St. Holmes Esquire. How you doing, Derek? I'm doing great. Did you really? You just got back from camping. Yeah, it was great. My family goes on the uh, Mississippi River every, every year. And uh, that's great. No riverboat gambling, just uh, straight camping? No, no, straight camping, but there are pit toilets and pay showers there now. But really? I, the, we've been doing it for like 50 years, so we, it goes back to where I don't see how we did it, where it was a week of camping with your entire family with pit toilets. When you say entire family, how many? Oh, my immediate family was four, but yeah. then like my family is all descended from a family of four sisters and one brother. So okay. it's all the different branches get together. Jeez. Well, Ed, you know, I don't want to dominate the podcast with tales of my family experience, but it was a lot of fun. No, I bet. Now, um, I do bring the uh, Indian clubs every time I go camping because I like you? to get a set done in the rising sun. Do you, uh, do you bring your girlfriend or do you just... Oh, no. Yeah, of course. Of course. Part of the family? So yeah, yeah. She's, it's her fourth year now. So Wow. Is it... Uh, does it... What do you do just for the weekend or are you there for multiple days? Or? Uh, Friday and Saturday. Okay, so it's not like an extended week or anything along that line. No, not anymore. I'm just saying when I was a kid, we would go up there for a month, and I don't understand, or go up there for a week, and I don't understand how we could do it. That's crazy, yeah. Crazy. But that's good. Hey, speaking of crazy. Wasting a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, let's hop right to it today. We are um, to spe- coming. Oh, incidentally, uh, yes. from your promo, Brandon Hayes and I, same birthday. Really? Yes. But what about Brandon Blaze? Not the same birthday, but I had his first match. Really? He loves to tell people. Derek was my first match in 2002, and he was already 60 years old. That's good. Yeah. That's a good. I've never met him. Oh. Uh, was that a good impersonation? Uh, well, it's, the, it's <laughs> his joke. It's his joke. Nice enough guy. 
Very nice. Um, have you ever wrestled him in a cage match? No. What about the other one, Hayes? Maybe in a war games type deal. Possibly something along that lines. Yes, but I have been in the cage several times. You have? Yes. That's something I actually did not know, so I'm excited that we get into it this week. Last week or last time was bears. This time it's cage matches. You've never wrestled a bear? i never wrestled a bear. But you have wrestled in a cage. I've so, wrestled in a cage. Um, just... Just continuing this homoerotic thread of bears and then cages and yes, yes. domination and stuff like that. So, um, I pretend I'm uh, pretend I book a wrestling show. Okay. And uh, I said, uh, "Hey, I want you in a cage match. What would be your uh, like prerequisite, or what would be your things you would need, so to speak?" And I don't mean like you, your gear. I'm talking about like. What would you like? What do you feel uh, for a cage match? Would you like what? What kind of build are you looking for? What kind of thing? What? How, what do you feel a cage match is used for on a card or in a feud or anything like that? What's my payday? Well, that would be the first. <laughs> that question, would be my right? first question, right? But no, does like, that dictate whether uh, we see color? Uh, dictates what kind of cage match again. Gotcha. Um, no, the cage match was traditionally a build up. Uh, it was the blow-off to the feud because it was a big thing. Obviously, the promotion had to put in an extra cost to have a cage brought in and everything like that. But the cage match would have come at the end of, say, a program that began with uh, one guy getting disqualified. Sure. So you come back in a no-disqualification match that goes to a finish where uh, wrestler B took his manager's belt and started whipping manager A. So now there's a strap match. Uh, then you have some other type of match where somebody gets away or there's interference. Well, this is for the last time. What we're going to do is put you two in a cage. Nobody can get in. Nobody can get out. This is going to be settled once and for all. So that was so it. So that was built up for the – it was the end of a feud. It wasn't the, the, the start of a feud. It was the end of a feud. It was the blow-off. And especially growing up in our area in the Midwest, Vern would cycle his cards – uh, you know, before spring vacation or before something else, but he would build up when the cage was brought in. You knew, you knew it was getting real. Right. So that's yeah. That was, and uh, I know nowadays we've uh, seen shows where they've done multiple cage matches on one show. Was it? I'm assuming back in the day it was probably more common. There was just that main event. It was one match was going to end up in the cage. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you, you saved it because it was a draw. It was a gimmick like anything else, but. Again, it was in how you built up the story to make the people want to see these two or four, however many combatants in the ring together. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, but that was the big deal. It was final. It was the last time. It was the end of the line. That's how it just. That's how it would end, and that would be it. Yes. Let's uh, let's get in our uh, wayback machine, uh, patent pending. I don't like to say time machine. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure uh, that uh, <laughs> what's the dog, Mister Peabody's going yes. to. So we're uh, in the uh, the way back machine. We're going to head back. First cage match, at least the first one that a lot of people recognize as the first cage match, was June 25th, 1937 in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Jack Bloomfield defeated Count Petro Rossi. Yes. Yes. I saw this entry as well. And I do want to caution this with uh, the fact that anything that claims to be the first in wrestling... Paul Bosch claims it happened in Houston before that. Before that, I sure. just want to let you know that this is somebody saying in 1937. I'm sure Paul Bosch is saying, well, in 1925, somebody did this, but they didn't use a cage match. They used fishing nets. 
<laughs> right. You know, something like that. Right. Uh, that you know, so that's how it's built up. But uh, as we touch on that, that is kind of how the cage match developed because you would have these gimmick matches, especially coming through the Depression when they were doing anything to get people in. Right. Uh, if it was a fishing community, it would be fishing you know, fishing nets around it. If it would, you know, that seems like that'd be really hard to get fishing nets around. Uh, like fishing nets. Oh, I get. Well, I guess I'm. No, no. You just raise them up on all. I'm four sorry. Sides. I'm thinking of like a handheld one that you would <laughs> you catch when you reel like the fish the in butterflies? the butterflies. Well, yeah, like a but you know, but a fishing one, right? Like you catch a fish and you bring it in the. Bo- I'm thinking that. I'm thinking thousands of. Sorry. So okay. You sell your ringside tickets for hundred bucks. You give everybody these butterfly nets that right. they can use to keep people in the ring, and then they can keep the well, butterfly nets. Well, fishing net. nets, butterflies. So that you're essentially fancy. selling a twenty dollar net for a hundred dollars. It's Again, not a bad deal. Yeah, I mean, but uh, but because screw the boys, it was your idea, so you're not going to pay the boys any of that money because it wasn't their idea. Right, it was your idea. Right, right. But I, I don't That's know. What fishing, I was just do. thinking fish, fishing nets. What but it I would say? be a fishing community, say in Galveston, Galveston or whatever. The Galveston? place of floods all the time in Texas. Yes, Galveston. There's only one road out. Yes. Yes. So you would, uh, those giant nets that you see in the commercials for the Gordon fishermen? Where yes, they throw them, yes. I'm sure they about. would string them up from the ceiling. Do you think that has it really been a Absolutely. fisherman nets match? Abs- well, yes. Yes, that's what I'm telling you. Oh, I don't know. I thought you were just making that up. Well, I'm sure Paul Bosch made it up. But yeah, I could easily see that being done. You have to, but this this you, is wrestling, dude. How'd you get color in something like you that? You wouldn't get color. It was the 30s. They didn't really you do that. Danny, Danny McShane didn't really popularize color until like the 40s. Okay. I mean, and before that, it was done with the uh, the condom or whatever. In in Right. I'm just going to say the condom in the mouth just so I can see Kyle's little... <laughs> go. No, they would withdraw blood. They'd take a hypodermic needle, withdraw blood, put it into a condom, tie it off. Then you'd put that in your mouth and bite that to make it look like you got... That's a lot of work. Yeah. Is that... If well, you don't like it, go and get a job. So, not to then not to go on a tangent on the blood thing then. <laughs> okay. But we're going to. So... Oh, that's the other thing that we were saying before. The cage match meant blood. It meant blood, right. It, it was going to... Right. So, when they put the... Uh, is that where... Do you think is that where the urban legend of, like, the blood capsule came from? Because uh, so many people, and I remember in like the 80s and kids, and they'd be like, oh, they're not really bleeding. They've got a blood capsule in their mouth. Do you think that is, I mean, I don't know. Sure. Yeah, okay. I mean, sure, but I do like, uh, I just reread Don Fargo's book and him, among other people, with their, their defense of the blood capsule. It's like, okay, a blood capsule. How big do you think a blood capsule is? Right. Well, I think it's yay big. It's like, okay, how much blood, have you seen people bleed in wrestling? Oh, yeah, it's all over there. It's like, okay, how many of those little tablets are you going to need to get that much blood? Right. And where are you going to put it? And if it's a little tablet and I've got it in my trunks, what's to prevent this other guy from kicking me in the stomach and suddenly I've got a stomach full of blood here. right you know it's like once you start pressing people on the argument it doesn't you know it doesn't pan out right but, but they, people they just don't they, don't wanna, they don't care they, they don't, don't want to believe do, they don't want to believe uh, now the other dodge that i've heard about is you would put a piece of wire in your mouth guard for boxing and then when it became time to end a fight but you didn't want to ko you'd switch your mouth guard boom suddenly you're bleeding from your mouth because you've just gouged yourself in the goom oh wow you know little little dodges yeah oh okay I uh, all stuff. It's always exciting to learn that. Um, so we were talking about the fishing net match. Um, 
I'd and like to steer it back to the cages. Let, we're going to go back to cage uh, okay. for sure. So that first match we talked about uh, from 1937 was uh, a chicken wire match. So it wasn't even, I mean, it wasn't a traditional cage match in the sense that we know about. I'm assuming that was just the construction of the time. Yeah, construction of the time or what's missing is the buildup or what was the story to that. Right. Uh, it might have been something as just this is how you keep the chick, you know, called his opponent a dirty chicken or something like that. Well, we're going to put chicken wire around the, you know. Sure. But keep in mind that was also a different time where there weren't necessarily promos or, or stuff like that. Everything was communicated through press releases. Right. So you could go a lot more eloquently into whatever story or background. And I guess the chicken wire as a cage seems chicken a little bit more. Wire. Seems a little bit more. Um, I don't want to say authentic might not be the word, but. Uh, just natural i could see because uh, i think for them to come up with something at that point just coming up with a giant chain link fence well did they really have a chain link fence in 37 i don't know why they wouldn't kyle can you I look up they would have <laughs> had something yeah do you think that chain link f- fence existed yeah um but so i'm assuming after that point you know that again it's that attraction it's going around it's the you know kind of built like you said chicken wire whatever it is just kind of keeping the guy in the ring uh-huh. uh which came first do you think the cage match came first or do you think the lumberjack match came first if you had oh, to guess if i had to guess i'd say the lumberjack match just because it was a lot easier. oh uh, this just in from kyle chain link fences uh were created in 1844 fair enough so they did have the ability to do it. Yes. Maybe they just didn't have the craftsmanship or the money to. Uh, more, more, most likely the money. Most likely the money to to afford that. Now, because remember, this would be something. If that was the first one, who knows what kind of foresight they had, and are we ever going to need this contraption again? Oh, checking. Oh, so the we're date looking again. again here. We see that the Anchor Post Fence Company, established in 1891, bought the rights to the wire weaving machine. Uh, and was the first company to manufacture chain link fencing in the United States. Boom! There you go. So very. So we don't know where they were at this point, but we do know the chicken wire was there. Right. Uh, now let's discuss chicken wire. There were chicken wire cage matches in Memphis as late as the '80s, were there not? Yes, but that was more of a monetary concern. Was that? It yeah. was. Because that way you could almost just get two by fours and build exactly. it up around it. Was that what it exactly. was? Exactly. What are your thoughts on those? uh it's wrestling yeah uh, there's happened um it happened there i want to say the batten twins were involved in something like that in central states where the cage never arrived might have been in uh like dusty wolf's book maybe i don't okay. think it was in ron stars but I- i've seen that where we had to go out and build a cage that afternoon stuff like that. sure you know, and that's just anything for the show and promoters being shady and everything like that. Was there a promotion that uh, featured heavily with the cage? I feel like I felt AWA did a lot. Well, um, it, it was a trope that they used right. annually. And this was a recognized way to blow off a feud. So the only thing you really needed was access to a cage. Right. Obviously, the WWF or WWWF, they own their cage. I know the one in Houston came from the fencing company that was owned by Tiger Conway Sr. Oh, really? Yes, and I've often wondered if that was a conduit to get cages to other promoters. Right. Like, oh, we got that person down in, <laughs> forgive me there, we got that person down in Texas, you can get us a deal on a you know cage, somebody can drive it up or whatever. Sure, like that. no, and that actually would make sense. Now, looking back, 
so the cage match went through all the progression. It's not so much a history of the cage match because we know it's there, but like, let's just talk about some of the things, um, memorable cages and or cage matches or uh, just maybe some anecdotes we might have about their thoughts we have on the cage. Uh, we were discussing that today at work. Uh, the height of the cage. Yes. How in like especially some matches in Texas, they would have a cage match, but the top of the cage would only be a foot above the top of the ring. Right. So the the combatants were almost taller than you know, taller than the edge of the the cage. Was it the cage in the? Uh, I always heard about it. Led the legendary was I think it was Jake Roberts versus Conan in Mexico where the cage was. At this point, the legend goes it was like 20 feet tall. Like I heard it was 24 feet. It was really? It was that, yeah. that high? Yeah, that was the same cage used in the AAA pay-per-view. Was it? Okay, yeah. and it was a high yeah, cage. Yeah, it was a... Yeah, 25... So, 25 like, that uh, was a lot of climbing with just the, you know, the little handholds. Like, they didn't have steps built in. Yeah, that's right. It was the... Um, I remember seeing pictures because that was the One Worlds Collide pay per view, wasn't yes, it? That they used yes. that with that as well, but uh, yeah, like the varying heights, I guess, then dictated just what kind of match it was, though, wasn't it? Pretty much as far as I, I'm assuming, the early days it was fight and it was still pinfall in the cage, wasn't it? Yes. Well, that's that's what I had seen for most of the time. I'd only seen the escape from the cage done in New York. Okay. Um, now. Fred Blassie had a long feud with the Sheik in California. Yeah. Which led to him bringing out the cage of Fred Blassie, which I, I'm struggling to remember right now. That may have been the first Escape the Cage match. Okay. Whereas all the other cage matches that had been held still had the spots of the gentleman you know, climbing to the top and sitting on the top of the cage exchanging punches. You know, so that spot was always there, but it wasn't in it. That was like somebody trying to escape from the cage, but being caught. Right, right. Yeah, I was, um, I guess that's one thing I've always struggled with with the cage match is the fight or flight. Right. Uh, well, it was just, just what you were, you know, what you were trained in. Right, but I mean, but like the psychology of it would tell me that a baby face would want to stay and fight to get, because he's getting the cowardly heel, so he wouldn't want to escape the cage. But... Uh, you want to beat your opponent enough so that they're senseless enough to let you escape, the and cage. that's it. Like, and that, and that pretty much is, would be the takeaway from the story is that the baby has beat the heel enough, and he's like, I've pummeled them enough. Now I'm I, now I can escape, and he can't stop. Right, me. like I've rendered him right. powerless. Whereas the heel should constantly be trying to get out of the cage. Yeah, because they want to win. Because they just want to win. And they don't want to get beat up. Right, right. So Remember, um, baby faces always walk forward. Heels always, always walk, walk backwards. backwards. Right. Do you know that, Kyle? It's true. Kyle just went, eh, whatever. Eh, the kids. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Kyle's, uh, Kyle likes that stuff. Other Those memorable cage matches, of course, the build-up to the uh, Fred Blassie-John Tolos yeah. cage match, also in uh, California. For, right, right. Where he got blinded with the Monzel's powder on television. And that that was they weren't collared together on that one, were they? No, no. But Tolos, uh, Tolos would wear the collar. That's what it was because Blassie was a vampire. Yes. Did you know that, Kyle? Blassie was a vampire. Yeah, that was uh, a whole thing. Kyle's just hands just went up in the air. Okay. Like whoa. Um, since we've totally done away with any sort of format or no, anything, yeah, no, this is good. A uh, good story that I like about a cage match in Phoenix, Arizona. 
with uh, Chris Colt as one of the Comancheros, which was a you know biker tag team or yeah. whatever, uh, was high on acid, was in the cage, started hallucinating spiders crawling up the side of the cage. So he climbed out of the cage, got trapped in the audience, and created one of the biggest riots they had seen there in quite some time. Oh, really? Yeah, because he was on acid. Good oh, for him. That's, that's what you do, I guess, when yeah. you're... Got to do that cage match, best thing to do. Uh, one odd variant on the cage match was, do you remember the Triple Tower of Doom? Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. I thought this was, a, I've never seen a clear explanation for this, but like WCW or NWA, right. Jim Crockett Promotions, they did their version, but there was also a version in World Class. Oh, yeah. And they were done like weirdly around the same time. And I'm surprised that that's never been brought back. I mean, granted, it stunk up the joint, but I was just like, how could this happen, you know, spontaneously in two different places? Right. Like, I've, I've never seen a story of, oh, this guy told person B and person C right. about it, and that's what led to it going. I just thought it was a strange. And I always, th- just from, I've seen clips on some of that stuff, and I think it's got to be just the spectacle of the height, right? Like the third cage on ta- like that. Right. And you also saw the frustration where you've got this concept, but you couldn't really take it on the road to iron it out. Right. So, like, you can see the workers trying to figure out, well, what are we supposed to do here? Was it, a, was it start at the top cage and fight to the, bo- to the ring? That was the, that was the WCW version. I forget what the world-class version yeah, was. Yeah, but that was everybody so I think I've never top. seen a tape of that. I've only seen a picture of that. Yeah. That, that, again, it's almost in theory, I guess. I kind of understand it, but it doesn't. And then didn't later on, did WCW do a version where, like, the doors would shut and you'd get trapped on different levels if you... I thought that was one. Or it was in that stupid movie. Maybe. I can't remember. I thought it was that they game, did one. Game of Death? Yes, Game of Death. <laughs> yes. The the David Arquette movie. I never saw it. Yeah, I, I just watched it last couple minutes of it and i think oh, who did uh martin landau just died and apparently he's got the sal bandini yes i i've never seen it but apparently it was enough for people to remember i was very pissed by the low mention of space 1999 yeah i agree with that yeah yeah they uh i was listening to a report and they said that he had a lull in the mid to late 70s and i was like space 1999 you idiots yeah but barbara you know, bain i know that was good. The weird Russian chick that could yeah. change. I used, to, I used to love that show. Changing animals. Um, so kept waiting for the Hulk to break out. <laughs> not to not to bring back the uh, AWA thing again, but one of my fondest memories was always watching the AWA stuff when it uh, always seemed like it was uh, Blackjacks in a cage versus uh, Bruiser and Crusher. Really? Yeah. Okay, because I was always going to go. My big memories are were with Mad Dog. Like, Mad Dog was always involved in a cage somehow. Oh, sure, and yeah. And his, his, his throaty interview of, I am not an animal. I do not belong in a cage. Like, it, I just, it struck me to this day. And yeah. then, of course, the shredding of the either heads of lettuce always or tomatoes. Or, yes. I mean, that was perfect. You needed that prop to show the people, this is what I'm going to do to my opponent. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, I am a big fan of the... Uh, put their head in the cage, grab the back of their head, and then rake their head back and forth right. along the cage. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. Right. And N- then as an announcer, anymore. W- right, as an announcer, I would then put over of, you know, 
ladies and gentlemen, you've all seen a cyclone fence like this. You've been up close. You know that that's not a smooth weld. There's little barbs and tines that are sticking out of all that. That's what's catching this competitor's flesh right now. Right. You know, so you could really put over the danger because people were familiar with that type of fence. Yeah. Now, uh, like the first blue safety cage that I saw was like WrestleMania two. Right. Like to me that removed, I mean, made for better camera shots. Right. But it removed the mystique of the cage match for me. Cause now it's this cartoon. But that was the, the reason for it. They said was the reinforcement because the men were so big. Sure. Yeah. But it, I mean, it but was that, for cameraing. Right. And it was, it was terrible. Right. And so like, I wasn't a fan of that because that took out that realism or that identification that you could get because you know, the audience had seen these fences, you know, everybody right. had them and they knew that, Ooh, they're either tines at the top or, you know, right. Yeah, it no, just, it's the it truth. Just remove that identification. And so I feel like, um, I remember a lot of AWA promos where they would do the lettuce or the tomato. Uh -huh. I just, this thing, I remember the crusher pushing tomatoes through the yes. chain link fence in the promo. But, uh, Crusher and Bruiser versus the Blackjacks. I always thought what intrigued me about that one was that Heenan was actually in the cage with them. Yes. And would just get bumped around like nobody's business. That was his job. That was his job. And, oh, and uh, bleed. Bleed from that right. crease in his forehead. Yeah. Th that was always an exciting one to me because the other one, too, is that I don't even necessarily think those were great matches. Uh -huh. As much as when you watch them now, it's almost like they go for about 10 or 15 minutes and then it's at some point it's as if they just say let's just be done yeah and there's no and to me like when you talked earlier and you said oh you know they use these as blow-offs to feuds i never felt like watching those that those felt like the blow-off it just felt like another part of the feud okay. but i'm guessing maybe they probably ran that through the circuit, right? Would oh, you yes. say that one they took that every yeah. city and did that exact same match yeah so they were bleeding <laughs> 20 times a month. Or right. Whatever. And it was all over the place. So uh, blood and the, the matches. So basically, um, maybe the stuff that I've seen, the footage that I've seen, that's why it doesn't seem. It just sounds like if you're saying Blackjack against Bruiser and Crusher, that sounds like Chicago loose footage. Yeah. So it was on film. Yeah. Okay. So that makes better sense because they were kind of promoted kind of differently. Oh, we're, okay. Yeah. How, so what do you mean? Uh, well, Chicago was a, a joined or co-owned city. Oh, right. With the Bruiser, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's where the black, I know the Blackjacks were big in the AWA, but they were bigger for the Bruiser. Okay. So that gotcha. would be where they came in. And then Heenan was identifiable down there. Was, um, was there ever a Hogan-Bachwinkle cage match? No. That never happened? No. Um, they wouldn't have built it. They didn't need it. Well, yeah. Yeah. It didn't, it, it, so it didn't matter at that point. I don't know why. Again, one of those fuzzy memories where I think, did I see that? Mm -hmm. um, but apparently not. Uh, we've already talked I know, previously. I mean, geez, episode two or three, we talk about Last Battle of Atlanta and the closed right. cage, uh, which we don't need to go back through all that again. But still, again, another favorite. Well, there's that. That led to the war games and stuff right. like that. How do you feel about war games? Uh, it was okay when it was a new concept. Yeah. You know, I was excited to see it. I saw it at the Mecca when it came around. Um, as a fan seeing it, was it weird? Did they do matches in every, uh, the ring, every other ring or something? Or how did they do it? Yeah. So they would, one match would be in one ring, and that would end, and then they'd do the next match in the next ring? Yeah. Um, was it frustrating as a fan to be sitting there and seeing that? Uh, not for my seats, because I was up at the top. Yeah. Yeah, so it was all, it was, it was all blurry figures to me. So where did you see that? Was that Milwaukee? Yeah, at the Mecca. And they did... Uh, what was that? Some kind of tour? Was it, it was like the Great a American Bash? Okay. Do you know what year? 
87. Uh, Who was in it? The usual. Okay. Uh, like the first round guys. So it was Road like the, Warriors and, and uh, Flair and the Okay, Horsemen. gotcha. And uh, the only thing I really remember was that spot where Animal gets Blanchard and holds him in a bear hug and drops him down and continually bashes his head in the cage behind him. Yeah. And did they just have uh, um, JJ submit? So nobody lost? Uh, no, he was already hurt. It might have been the War Machine. Okay. Which was Big Bubba Roberts. Right, right. So they had Rogers. always just kind of that out. Yeah. Which uh, I always thought was funny. Yeah. The, I, the concept, I get it. Again, there's so many different things at play when it comes to the um, War Games match. The could be the two-on-one or the three-on-two mm-hmm. or whatever, any of that kind of situation that was going on. I think that's another factor that cut down on the believability to an extent of wrestling to me as a child. How so? Was it was always kind of an inevitable, like, oh, this person's in. Oh, then this one is coming Oh, you're in. talking about the war game? Yeah, yeah. Right. Like yeah, the, but you're also forgetting the fact that for every war game, somehow the faces always lost the coin toss. Yeah, that's a good point. So, the um, sorry. But war games had, of course, had the roof on the cage. Kyle, have you ever seen the uh, Brian Pillman getting powerbombed by Sid? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. That was very dangerous. Yeah, well, Sid was just a dick. Yeah, that was that was pretty. <laughs> pretty uh, rough. Have you ever seen the shark cage match, which is on some of the um, the PM film and video footage? No, tell me about Chief that. Chief J Strongbow against Bulldog Don Kent in Detroit in a shark cage match. And when I say shark cage, it's the little one man cage that you go yeah, down. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's both of them in locked it. locked into this cage, having a battle. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's as close in and awkward as you, you would possibly think. Uh, the big spot is when... <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, well, they had to get out of the cage, so there's constantly the hand reaching around for the oh, latch. Uh, right, the right, other one right. And, uh, boom, boom, boom. And the whole deal was, you know, th- this was very similar to what my uh, grandmother would do with my dad and his sister when they would fight, is she would sit them down back to back and tie their arms together and say, okay, now fight. Really? So, you know, get them, get them close together. And on. It's like, you want to fight? This is how you're going to fight. So they locked him in the cage. Uh, the big spot was Chief J. Strongbow was able to get under Don Kent's waist and uh, hit his head into the top of the cage and oh, knock okay. him out. And then that's how he was able to reach around and get out of the cage. Yeah. But it was very close up and didn't get repeated. I'm not a big fan of those. The, even when they put the wrestlers up in the shark, like in the shark cage, like yeah. suspend them above the ring, like cornet and stuff like that. I never got into that. I I hate heights. That's why shit my pants having to do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's just not. Uh, I don't know. That's not not a good thing at all. Sometimes the feuds inside the wrestling ring pale in comparison to the companionship outside of it. In 1967, Cowboy Bob Kelly left his home near the Lafayette Sports Arena every morning to try and help Frank Dalton, his friend and wrestling enemy, regain his skills and overcome a serious paralysis that had set in after Dalton took a bad bump in a match. He was paralyzed on one side, Kelly said. We went there every morning in a totally empty arena. Day after day, we'd work till we had to go do something else. He got back to where he could work real good, but not as good as if he hadn't gotten hurt. From 1961 to 1968, The Dalton Gang rolled high in arenas throughout the Southlands, winning championships and raising Bedlam en route to titles in Texas and the Gulf Coast. 
The team initially consisted of Jack and Jim Dalton, a.k.a. Don Fargo and Jim Baggis. When Baggis left in 1965, Frank, nay Gene Stevens, replaced him and kept the team rolling thanks to a little help from Kelly, their fiercest rival. The Dirty Daltons were the creation of Fargo, who turned to the silver screen for a new angle after parting from the legendary Fargo Brothers tag team in 1960. That's when all the western movies came up, and I got the idea of being the Dalton Gang, where they carried the guns and shot them in the air, and dressed up like the 1800s, Fargo said. It wasn't exactly a stretch. Fargo could handle a firearm, and he dressed the part of a western gunslinger. He was fat, dirty, nasty looking, just like a Dalton. They wore guns and cowboy clothes all the time. They were just simply ferocious looking, like an old cowboy all wild and woolly, Kelly said. Jack and Jim held the Texas version of the NWA world title three times between 1961 and 1963. They moved to the Gulf Coast promotion where they captured the U.S. belts in 1965. Bagus was a brawler who left after a disagreement with promoters and Fargo found an ideal replacement in the smaller, quicker Frank, even though the Kentucky native lacked formal wrestling training. Fargo fit the role of the tough guy in the ring. Several opponents admired him for refusing to pull his punches during matches, while Frank worked as the cowardly heel, backing off before slipping in a sneaky punch or a hair pull. I taught him how to wrestle in a motel room, Fargo said with a chuckle. We put the mattresses on the floor because Jim had just left me and I needed a partner quick. This was in Louisiana. He wanted to be a wrestler, he was just a hanger-on. I took him in the ring and told him, do everything I do, just follow me. Frank was real small, but he could take some ridiculous bumps. It was one of those bumps that affected Frank for the rest of his life. One night, working a match in Baton Rouge, Kelly whipped Frank into a turnbuckle. He kinda jumped into that turnbuckle, but he was too close when he jumped and he hit his head on the post and back and it knocked him out. With the help of the other wrestlers, Frank regained consciousness and quickly finished the match with no apparent problem. But when he failed to appear for a television taping the next morning in Baton Rouge, Fargo ran back to the motel to check on him and found him unconscious. It messed him up real bad, Kelly said. The funny thing is, he still had that paralysis and people thought he was faking that, but it was real. In later years, Frank had trouble with simple things like keeping his foot on the gas pedal in a car. My father's stroke was very serious, and doctors told him no more wrestling, said son Andrew Dalton, an aspiring second-generation wrestler. Well, he pushed and trained hard to come back, and he did. It affected him the rest of his life. He had no feeling whatsoever in his right side, although he did everyday normal things, wrestled with me, played basketball outside with me and whatnot. Bob Dalton, who also wrestled as John Long, joined in some matches with the gang in Georgia and the Gulf Coast before the team split in 1968. My house was threatened to get blown up, we got into a scuffle with a union leader who was a wrestling fan, cops hated us, we had to finally leave Louisiana and do something else, Fargo said. He went on to wrestle for nearly 20 years using a variety of personas before settling near Pensacola in a small house with about 30 dogs. Frank continued to work in the Gulf Coast promotion. He became a fan favorite in the early 70s after yet another pair of Daltons, this time Baggis and Randy Cully, attacked him and charged that he was not a true Dalton. He also refereed and even worked for a time as Friday, the handler of Ugandan giant Kamala in Memphis and Dallas before he died in October 1995 at age 54. 
you just heard an excerpt from the book The Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, The Tag Teams, by Stephen Johnson and Greg Oliver, by ECW Press, available where all fine books are sold. Was it Flair for the Gold, where it was Flair versus um, Harley Race in the cage? Was that the second one, Flair for the Gold? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, why was that in a cage? Do we know? Uh, Do I think on that one, it was the novelty of the NWA title being contested in a cage. Because there wasn't any, th- that, that was just kind of it for the show for to make right. it right. that special thing. Uh, now, that was something that wasn't common for the NWA champion, especially when Muchnick was booking. He wouldn't, he didn't want his champion associated in a gimmick match like that right. because it was always wrestling. Would Muchnick So I'm not going to say cage? it's never. Uh, Muchnick used the cage in St. Louis. Yeah. But that was, I want to say that's like Dick the Bruiser, Bruiser Brody kind of stuff. Right. Um, it was but, definitely but one-off infrequent spectacle. Because, yeah, be, especially in a, a serious town like St. Louis. Right, right. Yeah, because that, uh, I didn't think much Nick was yeah, much for that kind of screwing around with that stuff too much. It seemed kind of weird. Uh, let's see as we're working our way through the country. Uh, coming through Atlanta, other cage matches, the... Let's see. There was the turn, Ole Anderson's turn on Dusty Rhodes. What was? Remind me, refresh oh, me. Oh, oh! This was the year-long build of Ole Anderson turning face and being a good guy, then finally setting up to a match between Dusty Rhodes and Ole Anderson. Uh, how is it with Gene Anderson as the ref? Okay. Against the Assassins, and like they had built up this match. Uh, and again, Ole Anderson, good guy, fighting fighting the good fight for uh, up to a year. Like as soon as they lock the cage, and as soon as the bell rings, Ole turns on Dusty, and they beat the hell out of Dusty in the middle of the Omni. And another one where fans are trying to yeah. get in and everything like and that. And the assassins and everyone there. Everybody beat it. the hell out of Dusty. Gotcha. And then that was it. That was just the match. Well, that was that match. But I mean, this was. The it w- that was to further this angle of okay. now now you've got the feud between Ole Anderson and Dusty Rhodes. Gotcha. Because Ole's turned heel in the worst way and cut an incredible promo explaining himself. Sure. Uh, that next week on television, you know, just very matter of factly. And Gordon Soley, I don't care what you think about this because I don't care about your opinion because I don't like you and I don't like anybody and I had to shake all your hands and I did not like it one bit. So great. Yeah. Just. Wow, you're a jerk. And Vince McMahon is a cocksucker. Yeah, F you and F your wife. Right, right. Um, Another big thing that happened in the cage uh, that uh, we can trace back was the the Freebird heel turn. Oh, absolutely. In world class. Uh Uh, That was was a very tiny cage as well. Was it really? Yeah, it wasn't very high. I always thought that that was pulled off. That was a great. uh, Yeah. I loved the uh, Michael Hayes constantly interfering Mm -hmm. as the ref. Um, It felt. If there was something that felt felt right, like it felt really right that like you have the baby face referee constantly Mm kind of stepping in and helping Mm -hmm. out the baby face almost to the point of frustration. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then just when he slammed the door on his on his head, Uh, if if you have not, I mean, the the people that listen to this podcast know their stuff that you guys have all seen it. You know it. Go revisit it. It is so great. It is. Kyle, have you seen that? Okay. Oh, Kyle. Incidentally, at my family reunion, my niece's boyfriend's name is Kyle. So I always like teasing him with sitting in just total silence around the campfire. And then, Kyle. Just giving it to him? Yeah. He's, what, uh, nothing. How old is he? 
Uh, he is 20 or something. Okay. He's a good kid. Yeah. Good, good kid. guy. Uh, mm-hmm. The other wrestling connection about the family reunion, to take this back, this is your little Saren, you know, intermission yeah. here. Um, my nephew is quite an accomplished amateur wrestler. He okay. is He's 15 now and starting to go through his growth spurt. And now at every family function, at some point, it, it happens and it's on. Yeah. And... Um, to be honest, I know a handful of tricks, and once he figures them out, I am screwed. Right. But you still get him? Uh, well, or at least long enough till his mom breaks it up. Do you stretch him? Or? I would love to try, but it's, like, it's that whole deal of, okay, now I've got you in this. Can I complete the move and take you down? Or what's his mom, i.e. my sister, going to do at that point? Right. Like, I don't want to execute some perfect throw on him and knock the wind out of him. And all of a sudden, have her just walk up and stick her finger like joint deep in my eye and say, "What the hell are you doing to my kid?" Yeah, that's yeah, kind of so trouble with that. You, maybe when she's not around. That's as, good. As as my girlfriend love phrased it for me, it's it, it's now just the whole concept of not today. Right. It's gonna yeah. happen, but but not today. Right. But that's good. But so does he? Uh, does he come up to you? Yeah. Does, He's like, hey. Yeah, yeah. Derek, it's always hey, a little hey. like poke, 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 and I'll poke back at him. Like last time at my niece's graduation party, like everything was fine. There was a little bit of contesting through the entire day. But then when I was hugging him goodbye and we were getting ready to leave, suddenly he shifted his weight on me and I just clamped my arms down and then it, then it was on. Yeah. And I actually have photographic evidence of that saved on my phone here. Da-da-da, I just want to so show you talk of about me with oh, a yeah, front face lock yes. and my nephew. Ladies and gentlemen, it just went black on your screen. I'll describe what I saw. Derek had a young man in a front face lock. Had a 15-year-old kid in a A face lock, and I was ready to make him piss himself as if. Can you uh, maybe you can put that one up on the? uh, I've thought about it. Put up on the fan page when this episode goes up. So Uh, when it does go up, I do want all of the naysayers that I already realized that my hand placement is not optimal, and I did move it after this picture was taken. Yeah, well, good. That's good. I don't want to hear it. Preemptive. You should have grabbed the tricep. I was trying to. I'm just used to a full-grown man, not a 15-year-old kid. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how he works out in that. Oh, I've got every angle for him set up. Yeah, for his entry into the business. But as a best friend's wife described for me, oh, Derek, that's your dream, not his. Is right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Tell me about uh, you in the cage. Tell me about some of your experiences. Uh, Before we get to that, sure, I want to share the the big cage match that got me back into wrestling and inspired so many people: Morocco and Snuka. Sure. Oh yeah. uh, Which was prefaced in that area by. Snooka and Backland in the cage, which I've seen, and I guess I just had to be there for those. I can understand Backland and Snooka being eventful, but it's just he misses the splash. Okay, right. But beyond that, and that's how that's how Backland gets out of the cage too, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. So that one wasn't as impressive to me as the Morocco cage match. Again, this was I was 13 years old. My friend had a satellite, or we had just gotten the USA Network in Gainesville. So I don't know if I was watching the initial showing or a replay, but they were talking about it this whole night, and I I found the card on YouTube at one point. Like, Mass Superstar wrestles Eddie Gilbert and all this other stuff. Then finally they build up to the cage, and I just saw it that night, and when Snooka was on the cage... Like, again, wrestling had been something I was familiar with. My dad watched. I wasn't really into But once I saw that, it was like, what the hell is this? Right. And the next day, went to the grocery store and got my first issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, that's that's what happened. What's the, There's the term that goes around now for people where, um, 
when you uh, the Mandela effect. Yes. That match, uh, I think people don't realize, has the Mandela effect. Why do you say this? Well, and for the listeners out there that don't know what the Mandela effect is, the Mandela effect is kind of like a, a group. Like um, a group memory that Like a group true. memory that doesn't exist. Like recently online, there's a big one about the comedian Sinbad was in like a movie called Kazim or something. The other one yeah. is Play It Against Sam. He doesn't say Play It Against Sam. Right. He only says Play He says like Play It you Again. You play it for her. You or play, play it for me. Yeah. Right. It never says, yeah. Forrest Gump, it's not life is like a box of chocolates. It's life was a box uh-huh. of chocolates. So, but we have this way that we remember it. That's the Mandela effect. It's true. Yeah. Kyle's giving me a quirky look, but it's the truth. We can discuss it off here. Yeah. Well, on the Forrest Gump podcast, we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And by uh, the way, check out Bubba I, Gump I, Shrimp I've Podcast. Never, I've never read the book Forrest Gump, but often heard there's a chapter where he flirts with professional wrestling in the book. I have, yeah, I've heard about that too. Yeah. Also, there's something weird where like he goes to outer space with a monkey and Raquel Welch in the second book. Oh. So... I, and that's th- no this bullshit. is gonna this is gonna sound so wrong, but I don't know who I'd rather be isolated in space with. Yeah, that does sound pretty bad. <laughs> Sorry, but a it's prime a Raquel Welch, I'm right there. Well, okay, yeah, I'm there too. Uh, but so Gina Lola Brigida. Yeah, so the Mandela effect. Uh, Mamie Van Doren. Ma- Mamie Van Doren. <laughs> Once described I would. to me is she's like a Marilyn Monroe, but she doesn't want to talk afterwards. Yes. It's like, oh, okay, good. Yeah. Um, Mandela effect. So, like I said, it's kind of like a group uh, thing with the cage match. Uh-huh. Snuka does the splash on Morocco after the match is over. Yes, after he lost that the match. Many people think that that is the finish of the match, right. but in all actuality, that is not the finish of the match. Mm-hmm. Morocco wins the match, and he brings him back in to the cage right. and does it. And so, uh, again, most people, well, I don't say most people, but I think a lot of people, if you'd ask them off the top of their head, they would say, oh, and that's when Snuka dove off the cage and beat Morocco. Nope. And that's not the case. The match was already done. It was the, this was just the uh, cherry on top of a cage match at the end of it. Yes. Um, what else? If you go back and watch, that cage is a lot more ancient and rickety looking than you remember. Oh, you, yeah. You think it's one of the fancy... It is a chain link fence, but you think it's one of the fancy pre-made ones? No, it's kind of, and that door is very rickety. Right. Um, speaking of rickety cages, and again, uh, uh, and I also found out Snuka was regularly coming off to the ca- coming off the top of cages like ten years prior to that. In the Pacific so it was Northwest. very, but yeah, but it was never put on TV. Right. So that's what made it that much more special. Well, and but that also had the you know the New York effect, the Madison Square Garden, right? To do like that. Um, speaking of rickety cages, again, I'll take it back to an old episode. And we got to laugh about it. Is the cage for the uh, Lawler Austin Idol hair match was uh, that one was fairly rickety. People were still climbing it, but it was still you could see the way it oh, was yeah. put together. You could see it like the kind of bowing in and like almost bending where yeah, there exactly. was the, the yes. bars. Yeah, I always uh, thought that was uh, very interesting to see uh, that as well. Uh, the the rickety chicken wire cage came as a result of, that was the Randy Savage, Jerry Lawler yes. match, which Randy Savage had such a great promo leading up to that. Like, that's what I would hate. You cut this great promo and all of a sudden you walk in on Monday night and you're like, really? This is what we're going to use? Right. Like ugh. yeah, it's just a real it's a real downer. Uh, so uh, there's I that. know we, we talked about Let's see what other cage matches do we have to talk about? Now was Valentine and, and Santana? Did they kind of go around the horn in a cage? Yes, that was another one uh, yes. for the for the IC title, right? Yes. I, I I just think remember that. And then uh, another big one too was the uh, San Martino and Zabisco. Oh yes, of course. Um, I don't again. Think I, that was the build up. That right, was the and final that, chapter. The, yes, and I don't think I've ever seen that match. Have you seen that match? Yeah. 
Any good? It's a cage match. It's a cage match. And well, it's a Bruno Sammartino cage match. Yes. Now, uh, would which Bru- isn't a slight. It's just you you know what you're going to get. Right. Would Bruno bleed? Yeah, I bled from the arm. And he bled to set up that angle. Okay, yeah, I guess you're right. I didn't even think about that. But right. to hear him tell it, you know. Gotcha. Uh, what, besides, uh, thinking about two, uh, Kyle was asking, West Coast cage matches. We kind of already covered the big one was the Tolis and uh, um, Blassie uh-huh. uh, out that way. Um, but, yeah, it's it's definitely something that's been used all over the place, just the fact of how it's been used. So now I, I really do. I want to get into this. I want to talk okay. to you about your like your perspective. I, Kyle has never been in a cage. I have never been in a cage. I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> uh, the two weaklings never – we've never teamed up and been in a cage anywhere. Da-da-da. So just – I know shows you could get on. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. And uh, uh, I'm just curious, your perspective as someone in the business that's working – Give me your thoughts. Like, what do you even putting together a match? What do you think about when you're putting a match together well, when it comes to a cage match? My first thought was this is this is going through several generations here. Uh, Professor Axel Future told me once that he sat in on Electric Eric Freedom talking to Baron von Raschke, and Baron von Raschke broke down the psychology of the cage match for Eric Freedom. Okay, but. Axel Future has never really told me that entire conversation. Oh, and that just drives me nuts. But he explained that, as with every gimmick match, the heel should be apprehensive to get in the cage. Like, the heel ideally would have been railroaded into this match or somehow, but he has to be afraid of the cage. Okay. Um, and then that leads up to the first contact with the cage uh, the heel having to try to sell to get out, you know, to put over that you have the cage there. And then the order of getting color in the match is very important as well. Oh, really? Yes. Well, obviously, uh, m- most of the time the baby gets the color first. Because then the heel gets it on the comeback? Exactly. The comeback or there is a comeback that leads to the heel getting color and then you lead into whatever else you're going to do. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so there is... With every gimmick match, there is a psychology, but the fact that it was laid out as this is the psychology of the cage match, it's like, oh, I've always wanted to, to hear that conversation. Right. So that's what I try to put together when I'm when I'm in a situation like that. As far as getting in there, um, it's, it's a cage match. Sure. It's like any other match. You just have to use the cage as a gimmick yeah. to get over. So, so that's what you do. Uh, as a heel, you don't want to get in. As a face, you want to get in there because you're you're not afraid and you have right on your side. Sell that around. Uh, baby out wrestles the heel so that the heel gets frustrated, tries to get out, sells to you know sells to one, but ideally should run to all four sides of the cage and get the big bug eyes with the open mouth. Right. Oh my God, this is really happening. You know, then maybe let the baby get on top there for a little bit. Bing, 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 bing. Finally, you lead the spot with the cutoff, and the baby gets color. Sure. Then you have a long, slow heat. You grind it out, blah, 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 do whatever you're going to do. Uh, build up to the baby comeback. Now the heel gets color. Um, I'm a big fan of when the at the first time when the person gets busted open and they're starting to bleed, there needs to be something. Either you're grabbing their head, holding your fist, looking at the crowd, saying yes, yes, but you have to artfully show that person's head to all four sides of right. the ring 
uh, whether it's grabbing it like they're trying to get away and you grab them by the back of the hair and they slowly march around the ring. But you have to show all four sides that now there's color. Now you can go to work on it and boom, 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 boom. And then that builds into whatever finish. Gotcha. I mean, so that's how I would lay out a cage match. Gotcha. And uh, in the scheme of... Everybody send me $75. Right. In the scheme of gimmick matches, where where does the cage match fall for you as far as something to do? Do you... I mean, is it... I guess I don't look at them with the excitement or the enthusiasm that I did as a kid. Now I, I just, it, uh, they almost seem kind of boring to me. Right. But you've also seen a million of them and you were so interested in them that you devoured them and right. dissected them. And all of a sudden you realize like, Oh, it's kind of like when I first got in and my, my feelings about Sabu. What's that? It's like, Oh my God, this is incredible. Da, 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 da. And then suddenly I get this like, five VHS set of the best of Sabu and I start watching it and I'm just like, wow, this is really just the same thing over and, and over, over again. again. Sure. No, I'm it's not. like, oh, I don't even think I got past the second tape. Kyle, mark Sabu off the list of people asked to be on the show. Uh, I have wrestled Sabu though. Yes. We'll save that for an intro, kid. We haven't used it? I think we did already. Oh. So. Nice um, guy. The, uh, Likes pot. No, no, what I always would have liked to have seen and I don't know, have you ever seen this? Somebody gets Irish whipped into the ropes, and when they're bouncing off the ropes, they hit the back of the, ca- the cage with the back of their head or the back of their yeah, and then are just like like almost scared that they hit it. Has that happened? I feel oh, like, yeah. Uh, I thought that would be kind of cool. I guess I don't that, That's part of that. how you sell the fact that you're in a cage. Right, that you realize it's there. The re- like you're doing the regular match, and then all of a sudden something reminds or you that the cage is there. Or if it's set up really close, if you have a narrow apron, you just use that as a high spot. Okay, I'm going to throw you in, catch your head. Ah, boom. Yeah. Go into that. What? Um, oh, you could even cut yourself off as a baby. You know, boom, 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 boom. I'm going to go into the ropes. Boom, oh, my God. Boom. Now right. You're and that becomes something. That's I how was, I sound putting matches together. That's good. So. I, yeah. I've seen a lot of people put them yeah. together, and it always this is a lot of yada, yada, yada. Uh, the young kids use a lot of fucking. Oh, like, really? And then you fucking do this, and I'll do the fucking thing, and, and the, gotcha. just fuck that over. Um, just kind of funny. Everybody's everybody's fucking. I always liked the other one, too, at the cage match. Always loved the grab the guy by the hair and just do the big whip where the heel just goes, like, belly flops into the, the cage. Yeah, the and then come back in the big flop backwards. Always loved that, sure. and I always loved... Any kind of time someone got thrown into a cage, and then they got tangled up basically just falling flat between the ropes yes. and the cage. I always thought that was absolutely yeah. brutal. But as with the cage match being a trope, these were all spots that seasoned workers would either develop or share as they were putting the matches together. It just doesn't seem like, in the, uh, looking back at it, that there's a lot of great... I, I think, like you said, the story needs to be there. I don't necessarily feel that there's some great spots, so to speak, like... In a ladder match now, I mean, there's so many different seesaw, yiggity-yaggity, whatever they do with all that stuff. Don't right. Get, don't get but, like, even something as simplistic as the strap match, crotching the guy with his own hand through his leg, right. the flip over, things like that, tying him up. I think you have so many different things that you can do in all these other different gimmick matches that the cage now is just strictly the throw the guy's head into it, rub the guy's head up against it, do a jump off the top of the cage. Right. Keep in mind that the cage was for when all civility had been thrown out. Right. We've had every type of match together, and now it's going to be a fight. Which is basically when I know a lot of people kind of shit on the last battle of Atlanta. Uh Uh-huh. Because it's just uh, Sawyer and Rich just punching and kicking and punching and kicking. Yep. And it's just, it's, 
them just beating each other to a complete pulp and then that's it uh and that is that culmination again that feud like you said all civility has been thrown out the window um have you participated in an uh, climb over or escape cage match or have you, uh, pin what are both no or? it's all, always been the pin it's always been the pin yeah probably because the venues you're at they can't get can't climb out over the top yeah the some of the cages i don't really trust yeah yeah i could see that yeah that would be like really i've been in cages that went down to the floor that were nice and solid cages went down to the floor that kind of breathed in and out uh there was one guy that had a cage that set up on the apron okay so it was like it was a very small you'd open the door and then the door would swing out of course and then you'd have to step through the cage you know sure you're stepping through the ropes right there so that was a good cage to do the back of the head thing um oh there was one more story i was going to tell you um oh that wasn't a cage i'm sorry i was going to say i was at a venue where it took an hour and a half to get the cage set up but no, it took an hour and a half to string barbed wire at an Ian at a Carmine show. Okay, gotcha. And that was incredible. And people stayed. Uh, most of them did, but it was like, wow, how Carmine? Where'd you find these guys? Yeah, like how difficult can yeah. it be to to get some of that done? Some of that ball wire. I've always been uh, curious about that too. I guess I. I you see the way that the production is done now, and it's amazing that they can just have the cage hung from the ceiling and just right. bring it down, and that's great. I cannot for the life of me imagine sitting and waiting for people to assemble a goddamn cage. Uh, depends on how the operation is. Yeah. I mean, some people are able to do it real quick and other people are idiots. Yeah, I just, it, it would be mind-numbing to sit there and just, I mean, and I feel like that would kill any kind of buzz or any kind of, like, energy going into it. Well, if you have a good operation, it would actually help. Uh, going back to that broadcast of the... Um, the snooker morocco cage yeah where the slow building of the cage led to the anticipation of the match sure so i mean if if you're if you're bought into that fantasy it's actually a, an effective build but if you've got idiots and it's just killing the show then you've right. got to figure it out question for you yes you're at starcade 85 the gathering okay you have the choice of going to either greensboro or to the omni I want to see the I Quit match. You want to see the I Quit match, and that's in the cage. Yes. So you would always pick the, you would you would pick the venue with the cage matches on that show. Knowing what I know now, I would rather see the cage match. Okay. Now yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to see Fargo in his yellow. I, I do, but I'd like to think I would see that on his weekly stop. And you'd be happy happy yes. with that. Yeah. That's uh, what. Uh, as a kid, when you first saw the, uh, we mentioned it before, the Hogan Bundy Cage WrestleMania two. I wasn't a kid; I was sixteen. Oh. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, were you were, did were you deflated? Was it just like ah oh, fuck? Like yeah, when you saw how shitty that thing looked. Yes, yeah, it was just like huh. And well, keep in mind at that point, I was also very into the anti WWF sentiment of uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Sure. So to me, that just represented another way of how they were just screwing it up. Yeah. Yeah, really, uh, again, yeah, another one that would just seem like it really was kind of throwing it at it and just like, "Eh, I don't like that at all. Um, Nowadays, you watch, you see cage matches, anything? Uh, No. Do you watch wrestling nowadays? Occasionally. I did watch the last two matches at the last pay-per-view and I was semi- semi-impressed but uh cage matches now it, it it's all developed where it's a different psychology it's a different different presentation right it's more of a car crash than an emotional story 
I don't want to go into that. So fantastic athletes. Why not? Because I, we've wasted a lot of time already, and it's not going to do any good. Okay. It's not my cup of tea. Right. So. Well, do you feel that with them not uh, blading, not juicing on these anymore? Do well, you- and that's, that's – you don't need a cage match then. Right. Because that was the whole point of the cage was to draw the blood. You were put in a dangerous environment right. where this would happen. Do you feel that the uh, as now like what's the whole point? I'm going to rush your head into the cage and nothing. And nothing's going to happen, right? You're just going to look guffawed as you like, whoa, yeah. There's like really nothing to it. Yeah. And I think that like the danger, the that idea of it is completely gone. Uh, was there were still plenty of uh, what I think is interesting is you look back at the snooker jumping off the cage and you say, you know, he does that, and it's a good. I mean, how many years between that and actually the next time you see somebody really jumping off the cage? It wasn't uh, the cage was still, I don't say respected, but it was still used in a a way that wasn't like a jumping platform for quite a while. And if it was, it wasn't anything you were seeing on TV. Right. Well, also, the WWF went through that long run of not getting color. Right. So that rendered the cage matches Right, so they kind of didn't, didn't do. They they didn't even bother with them, right. basically. And I remember one time there was a cage match on like a WCW, what their Sunday night show main event. Okay, Bobby Eaton against Dusty Rhodes in a cage, and nobody got color. And I remember seeing that, just like, well, then what was the whole point? What, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, it just Dusty uh, Rhodes in a match, and he doesn't get color. Right. For TV, baby. Yeah, yeah I, I uh, definitely think that there's that story that needs to be told. And if it's not being told, then it's uh, right. It's a pointless case. Um, well, very good. We're going to stop it right there. I, like I say, just kind of going over the cage matches a little bit. Just a little bit of talk about. Uh, it was also a, a punchline between a childhood friend of mine. Where, like We'd always be talking about something. We'd get real serious. We'd ask if he wanted to do it in a steel cage. I do that with my kids now. Yes, it's just a good. It does. It still sounds great. It's a verbal exclamation point on what you're saying. Right. Dumbest steel cage match you've ever seen. Dumbest one. I'm going to say that's one I was in. (laughs) Uh, A match with an unnamed promoter said that we were going to have guitars hung in all four corners of the ring. Uh, This guy was shady enough to where I was asking him, hey, where are these guitars coming from? Are they going to be gimmicked? Oh, yeah, don't worry about it, dude. It's like, okay, this doesn't sound good at all. Day of the show, open with the cage match because he wanted to get it up before. Yeah. You know, so there wasn't any issues. Pulls out these guitars. They're small theater guitars that are the size of ukuleles. Shut up. Serious? And I'm just like, these are your guitars? Yeah, they're the breakaway guitars, dude. It's like, these look like crap. The breakaway guitars? <laughs> you ever so, heard about a bra- I've never heard of a breakaway guitar. Before. Oh, so it was just. You put those out there, and you're trying to put a good face on it, but you're just you just want to look at the crowd and say, "Look, I know it's stupid." Too. Right? We're hitting each other with basically ukuleles. Yeah. So, needless to say, those went quick. Yeah, that, I was gonna say that's pretty bad. I always thought, uh, what was the uh, the the was it the the cage of doom or whatever where Abdullah the butcher gets electrocuted? Oh, I just saw that not too long ago. Have you seen that one, Kyle? Yeah. yeah. So, like, I always thought that one was. I mean, but that one's, like, a a series of uh, Oh, that was a Chamber of Horrors, man. Chamber of Horrors. That's what it was. And, like, the the switch drops before for the electrical, and then they have to, like, reset it. And it was a whole lot of bullshit. Well, it was an electric chair from the 1800s. 
Yes. Had those bugs. Yeah. I just think that... Old uh, Sparky, I think they called it. Right. And I laugh at that because I think that that's that point, too, where they're like, well, the cage match, kind of, what can we... What can we do to kind of yeah, well, that, sass it up a little bit? Yeah, but wasn't that around the time like Oz was rolled out right. and stuff like that? Where yeah. WCW was just trying stuff. Yeah. They turned their logo 45 degrees. Just to make it edgy? Yeah. Uh, it's so ridiculous. You don't remember that? Um, I don't. Oh, sorry. Okay. No, that's, that's perfectly that fine. That was around the time of Big Josh. and <gasps> Big Josh, who... <laughs> Did you who see? came out with bears he came out with bears so uh incidentally the person i couldn't think of in the last podcast was tuffy truesdale tuffy truesdale he's the one that had the bear and the alligator gotcha don't know if he wrestled him in a cage <laughs> maybe maybe well very good well awesome well derek thanks again for everything uh always fun just to kind of shoot the shit about something i was always curious about you and cage matches Wait a just minute. Huh? Okay. No, never mind. No. I thought you were taking it somewhere. No, else. I was always curious about you in cage matches and just your involvement. Um, a bump and pay to do a cage match, even if there's no color? Uh, I tried. <laughs> Sometimes it, some, the one time I remember like my first cage match, there just wasn't any money in that house. Yeah. But I was going to do it and I was going to get color just so I could get it off my list. Was uh, that the first time you got color? Was in a cage yes, match? Yes. See, so that's the kind of, that's the good stuff that we like to hear. Oh, there you go. Very nice. Actually, well, didn't get color from the cage. Got colors from the brass knucks uh, in the comeback. What a waste of a cage. Uh, I was told not to get color, but I was going to do it anyway. So I was like, hey, just do it this way. We'll say we screwed up. Oh, so uh, you said you claimed it was hard way? Yes. Ay, ay, ay. He knew it wasn't. He knew it wasn't. Of course he knew it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> we go, hey, I did it. He's like, no, come here. No, you're fine. That's you're fine. hilarious. Oh, listen to you. Incidentally, I lost the brass knucks that night because this carny ass promoter, like as soon as the match was over, I just got pinned and I'm covered in blood. All of a sudden he says, and everybody, if you want pictures in the cage, go ahead and get inside. It's just like, so I'm trying to get out of the cage as i'm covered in blood as people are streaming into the cage to take pictures they give all zero shits of, about you laying all there. 30 of them right and i walked out and got to the back and realized oh somebody stole my brass knucks oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what that's gonna wrap it up we're gonna end it on that that sad story uh, <laughs> i'm sorry to be laughing but again great stuff thanks a lot derek uh so this is your co-host, Jay Gilkay, and you have been listening to Cigars and Conversations with Derek St. Holmes Esquire, brought to you by Astro Radio Z and iTunes, asking you to subscribe, rate, and most importantly, share the podcast with your friends. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.